Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. All right, why don't you come with me in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. We're uh, in a series right now called Reborn, and uh, as I mentioned last week, it's sort of loosely based on our Cherish theme, Cherish theme coming up. Cherish is just like, it's like two weeks away or something, right? 11 days, that's insane. And the Cherish theme this year is His Masterpiece, and um, you know, it's awesome, beautiful, it's a little girly, so we can't, you know, I was like, hey, we can't have that be the... The, the theme for the whole church. We got something a little more manly. So we went with reborn. Come on, who knows that the Christian life is new birth? New birth is the Christian life. If you have not been born again, not my words, don't judge me. This is from Jesus himself, king of the universe. He said, unless you have been born again, you have no part, no place in the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what this series has been about. And I wanna talk about um, a specific characteristic today of being reborn. You know, if you were here last week, you know, it, it went a little hard last week, okay? We talked about some serious things, got a little heavy. So you're gonna, this one's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the compliment sandwich, okay? You guys got, got, hit with the, got hit with the left hook last, this one's gonna be just like a tender warm hug, okay? We're gonna be talking about joy today. Come on. Come on, the title of this message is New Found Joy. New Found Joy. Everybody needs a little joy. So let's um, take a look at uh, something that Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16. So this is a, one of the last conversations that he has with his disciples before he's gonna go to the cross, before he's gonna be crucified, not exactly sounding very joyful. And you know, the disciples are just like, okay, we have hit the jackpot. Like we are literally walking around under the tutelage of this guy who is raising people from the dead. When he's in a boat and there's a storm, he just says, stop, and it stops. Like they're just like, we have hitched our wagon to the Messiah, this is sweet. And then all of a sudden, something very confusing happens and Jesus tells them, oh hey, by the way, I'm about to die. And they're like, no, 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 I don't think, I don't think you understand how this works. He's like, you know, I do, I do actually, I'm God, I, I'm, I'm, I got it, I'm in control here. And so it was a very confusing time for them because they're like, well, wait a minute, I thought you were gonna be the savior of Israel, you are the, the Messiah, the son of God, what do you mean, how are you, what does that mean you're gonna, you're gonna die? And so this is um, the discourse that, that Jesus is having with his disciples about what's gonna transpire in his death and in his resurrection. So John 16, starting in verse 16, it says, this is Jesus speaking, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Come on, praise God, right? Thank God for that. Like that. We do not know what he is saying. I read that and I was like, oh. They're just like me. They're just like me. Anybody feel that way sometimes? God, I don't know what you're, I don't, I know you're speaking, but I don't, no, no, no comprendo, you know? You, you just, just say it to me in English. 
Um, we do not know what he is saying. Verse 19, now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. I love this part. This is Jesus, like a man, using the birth analogy and trying to mansplain his way through this. He's the only one who can do this, okay, because he's, he's the king of the universe. He says, verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor, I love this part, has sorrow because her hour has come. <laughs> but as soon as she has given birth to the, child, to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy, for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will re Rejoice. Rejoice just means rejoy, just joy again. And your joy, no one will take from you. Come on. So we got three points today, as I always do. If I ever don't have three points, I get confused, I get disoriented, become very upset. And I'm preaching today, y'all. These three points rhyme. Yeah, yeah, y'all get ready. Shekinah glory is about to pow. How to attain your joy, how to maintain your joy, and how to regain your joy. Come on, somebody. That was in honor of Pastor Marco. I don't do that. It kind of hurt my foot, actually. Gosh. Before we do, I just want to um, actually define joy. Make sure we're all talking about the same thing, understanding. It's a little bit of a, of a Christian uh, trope that you've you know, probably heard, been thrown around a lot, the difference between joy and happiness. And even though it's a trope, it's true. And so you probably heard it said that, that happiness and joy are related but, but different. Happiness is based on the word happenings it's, or happenstance. Happiness is circumstantial. It's in, you know, like I will be happy today when the Dallas Cowboys win their football game. Like I will be happy. But it's circumstantial. And if in the event, which will not happen in the name of Jesus... Let's just speak in tongues for a minute. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. If the Cowboys lose, I'll be sad. It's circumstantial. I rebuke you. Get behind me. It's circumstantial. Joy is sustained, steadfast happiness. It's a happiness that is not circumstantial. It's not an emotional state. It's actually a state of being. And that's the difference between joy and happiness. Joy is robust, unshakable, unconquerable happiness. That's what we're talking about when we talk about joy, all right? So point number one, how to attain joy, how to get joy. Ready? It's very profound. Be a Christian. All right, point number two. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I mean that really is pretty much the whole point, but I'll... I'll flesh it out a little more than that. How to attain joy, be a Christian. Joy, as a Christian, is guaranteed. And I would argue, okay, hot sports opinion, don't get mad at me. I would argue that if you are not joyful 
And listen, you know, there's, there, there is a real devil we're going to get to that seeks to steal your joy. So there's definitely moments where joy can be tamped down, it can be suppressed, it can feel lost, but joy can never be extinguished in the Christian, ever. Joy cannot be extinguished. I would argue that if you are not joyful, you should do some inner, inner searching. Because it is impossible, it is impossible to be a Christ follower and not have the spark of joy on the inside of you. Romans 14, 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says. The kingdom of God is joy. Is joy not has joy, is joy. The kingdom of God is joy. Psalm 4-7 in the English Standard Version says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And I love that. When he says they, he's talking about worldly people that are, that are enamored with, with worldly pleasure. And anytime you see grain and wine, grain means it's symbolic of your, your physical needs, you know, your, your, your day-to-day, your essentials, your, your house, your shelter, your food. And wine is about, about your social situation, celebration. And, and he's saying that you have put joy in me that so far surpasses all of, of the, the things of this world. You have put joy in me, more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. And so I want to go back to Jesus's, hold on, this, actually, this water actually is from the well of Bethlehem, so give me a second. I want to go back to what Jesus um, said with this analogy of the, uh, of the woman in labor. So it's verse 21 again, John 16, 21. Jesus says, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Um, I'm going to tread very lightly here, okay? So I have three children, and I have been there for all three of their births. And the first one, Zeke, I was there, there. I was like, I was there. I saw it all. And then the second one, Everly, I was like kind of there, you know, just I'd check, you know, check progress. And with Leon, I was like, you know what, babe, I'm going to hang up here with you. I'm, I'm going to be here next to your face. I'm going to encourage you. So, you know, I've seen it. I'm, I've seen it. The craziest thing, it is, y'all, I, I, it is, so my wife, and I just want you, I want to take a second and honor my wife. She is a hoss, okay? All three of our children were born naturally, and no judgment, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying epidurals are from the devil or anything like that, just chill out, but she said, like, I'm going to do this, like, for real, and so she um, had Pitocin for, like, you know, 30 hours or something nuts. I remember actually when her water broke with Zeke. This is how ignorant I was. Like, you know, you think it's like the movies, like water breaks, and literally 15 minutes she's pushing a baby out. And so I remember she tells me with Zeke, you know, and I had like my go bag, like all packed, like I was ready, just so we, you know, can't have the baby in the car or anything, like Nick and Linda Selton. That's a story. I can't, I'm going to tell that one one day. 
That really happened, by the way. Anyway, so I had like my, my go bag and, and uh, you know, she says, babe, I think my, my water, I think my water just broke. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <gasps> and so we load up the car and I, you know, getting my pregnant wife into the car and, and then I run back upstairs to grab a couple things and, and I actually took a second and, you know, and it was, it was sweet, but ignorant. And I was like, you know what, this, like, I looked in the mirror and I looked a little, you know, I just had like a t-shirt and sweatpants. I was like, I, I'm not going to meet my son like this. And so I took a second, I got dressed. I got a button down on, I got some nice pants and some boots. And I said, you know, I'm going to meet my son for the first time. I'm going to look nice. So I did that and then I ran down to the car and then 36 hours later, I changed clothes like four times. Anyway, and so then Zeke, and I just, it, it, is, it was so crazy to me all three times, you know. And again, like my, my wife is a beast, a very feminine, beautiful beast. I don't mean... Beast like that. I just mean like she is, she's tough. And so she had all three of these babies naturally. And they, you know, Katie's great at being pregnant. And, but the birth part is hard, okay? The, my kids are just, I don't know what's wrong with them. They just big old heads. And anyway. And so I just, it was like crazy. I remember like after all of this, like just energy and screaming and hustle bustle and carnage and, you know, and then all of a sudden, this baby is out and gets put on Katie's chest. And I'm still just like, like, I think it was honestly probably harder on me than it was on her. I knew that was going to get y'all. I knew it was going to get y'all. And it was like, and I'm still just like, you know, basically in shock about everything that just happened. And she's holding one of these babies. And in like, I mean, literally, we're about 45 seconds removed from all of this happening. And she's just, oh, you know, I would do it all over again. And I'm like, what? Really? Like, and it's so crazy because that's the analogy that Jesus uses about our joy. And it's so amazing because, you know, in the, 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 the minute after birth, you know, it's, it's not like all of a sudden all of the pain is instantly gone. It's not like the baby physically takes away the pain. The pain is still there. But the joy of holding the baby so greatly overshadows the pain. And it's crazy to me because what, most, what, what the world does, and, and you have to understand, the, the, God is the only creator. Have you ever thought about this? I'm going on weird tangents. I don't know what's happening. Have you ever thought about trying to create a new color? Think about it. Think about it. Just try right now. Just think like, I want to make a new. You can't. It's just going to be some mix of other color. You know, like, anybody remember when you were kids, you had like the 128 box of Crayolas? You know, the, the box of 12 was, you know, like red, blue, purple, yellow. Well, you get to 128 and it's like macaroni and cheese and tuna salad, like crayon colors and stuff like that. And I'm like, it's not macaroni and cheese. You just mixed orange and yellow. That's all you did. That you cannot create a new color. You cannot. You can mix some colors together, but you're not creating anything new. God himself is the only creator. The devil cannot create anything. All he can do is pervert. That's all he can do is pervert. So how crazy is it that God actually gave us, you know, one of the things we say all the time is that it's really bad to self-medicate, right? It's like you don't want to do that. You don't want, but that's actually not true. That's literally what God's, Jesus says joy is. That joy is self-medication. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying that in the pain of childbirth, 
that this baby comes and medicates the woman, that she no longer feels the pain because the joy has numbed it, is literally what he's saying. And so the world counterfeits that. And they, instead of joy being the pain-numbing agent, it's alcohol, it's drugs, it's sex, it's power, it's money, it's success. That's all it is. It's a perversion of the original design of God. The original design of God is that joy would be your self-medicating agent. That joy would actually numb pain in your life. Doesn't take away the pain. Doesn't mean that you're never going to experience pain. It means that the joy of being in Christ so greatly overshadows that pain that it's inconsequential. And that's what Jesus says in this, this, this analogy that he gives is that, yeah, the pain is still there. She just gave birth, but is so greatly overshadowed by the joy of holding this new baby. Does that make sense? Somebody say amen. You know, um, it's, people say all the time that, um, it's a generalization, okay, so, but that comedians are generally pretty miserable people. And it's, and it's a lot of times very, very true that, that professional comedians and people that do stand-up, that their whole thing is they make people laugh, and they're on the surface, they're, they're, you know, they seem very happy, and, but a lot of them are very, very deeply tormented people, and we see a lot of, you know, crazy, like, you know, Robin Williams and all these, these people that, you know, like his whole life was bringing joy to people, but inside he was deeply tormented. And a lot of, a lot of people that, that, that are married to a spirit of the world, that's, that's their life, that there is this outward veneer, an outward shell of happiness, an outward shell of joy, but the inside, they're miserable. And the Christian is the opposite. Okay, now hear me out. If you're a true Christian, there is a sense of, of weight and gravity that rests on, on us as believers. Like, we understand the eternal implications of life. Like, we, there is real wickedness. There is real evil in the world. And as a believer, you have made the decision to shoulder responsibility. God does not just say, hey, once you become a Christian, then, you know, you, I'm going to take care of everything. You have Jesus says that my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everybody heard that? And so we think that as like, oh, sweet, being a Christian is awesome. I don't do anything. But you forget that he says my yoke is easy. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is what you put around an ox so that it pulls stuff. Jesus does not say I will take your yoke away from you. He says I'm, you're going you're to have a yoke. You're going to be doing some stuff. But because I give you strength, it's going to be easy to you. So as Christians, it's not just happy-go-lucky. Like there is a, a, a sense of, of responsibility and of weight. And the, that's what the word glory means. You know that, right? The word glory means weight. When we say that, that God is, is full of glory, it means that he's heavy, that there's weight to it. That's what the word literally means, glory. And so we, as believers, it's, a lot of times we're the exact opposite of that of the, the kind of the stereotypical comedian where there's, um, you know, this outward veneer of happiness, but then this inward torment. A lot of times for the believer, there's an outward veneer of, of a little bit of heaviness at times. And as we shoulder more responsibility and we, we strategize, but on the inside is a deep-seated, unshakable, unquenchable joy. And it's crazy. You know, so Katie and I got, um, we got married on New Year's Eve, um, 
in, which is the greatest anniversary of all time. Jim and Kelly also have a New Year's Eve anniversary. It's the best because every year the whole earth celebrates us, which is awesome. And that's what we tell ourselves in New York City. They're celebrating Mike and Katie. When they're counting down the ball, all that, that's for us. So we got married, and it makes it very easy, the anniversary. So I met Katie on her birthday, so those two dates are the same. We started dating on New Year's Eve, and we got married on New Year's Eve. So i got to remember two dates. If I can do September 29th and December 31st, I'm good, all right? So Katie's birthday's coming up, September 29th, so don't worry. I've got, I've got plans, y'all. I've got plans. But because of that, because our anniversary is on New Year's Eve, it just... Um, it just kind of become a thing almost organically that as we're celebrating our anniversary, it's also the end of the year, the start of a new year. And almost always where um, we, you know, take some time to um, reflect on the year and think about the next year and kind of do some goals and all that kind of stuff. And this trend kind of developed over the years that was, um, was crazy to us. And it was that it seemed like every year we'd be sitting down and we would kind of say, okay, like, how was last year? And we would sort of just off the cuff, you know, without really thinking about it, say, gosh, it was so awesome. Like, we are so blessed. Like, what a great year. Last year was amazing. Man, just pinch ourselves how great it was. And then we would actually start talking about the year. And be like, oh, yeah, that part sucked. Oh, yeah, that month was really hard. Oh, man, that was, yeah, that was really. And it was really crazy because over the years we've noticed that we'll look back and say, man, like, there was a lot of very heavy moments in this year, a lot of things that we really wrestled through that really burdened us, that we had to really fight for and warfare for. But, you know, when you just asked us, how was last year off the cuff? The, 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 the answer out of the overflow was, it was amazing. We had, and I just, that's what the Christian life is. That when you get to the end of a year, even if it was a really hard year, even if it was marked by tribulation, by trial, you'll actually say, gosh, you know what? Praise God. Like, it was a great year. And that's what joy looks like. That's what joy is. So I want to circle back and actually answer the question practically. How do you attain joy? You give your life to Jesus Christ. You give your life to him. You say, you know what? I don't want manufactured joy. I don't want what the world has to offer. I want true joy. Leo Tolstoy, who wrote a um, very famous piece of literature called War and Peace, um, or War, What Is It Good For, was the alternate title. Just kidding, that was a Seinfeld joke that nobody got but me. Um, but I thought it was funny, and I made myself laugh, which is really all that matters. Um, Leo Tolstoy wrote War and Peace, and in his, one of the greatest, um, Kelly, one of the, <laughs> one of the greatest writers of all time, and in his 50s, he went through this crazy existential crisis to the point of being suicidal. And he said this in, um, in a, a little collection of essays called, um, I think it was called Confessions. This is dark, okay? He's Russian, so, you know, just give him, a, give him a break. He said, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? He's Russian, okay? Just give him a break. They all talk like that. <laughs> but what he's saying, and it's so profound, and don't miss it, is, you know, I love that most people who say they're atheists, they're actually just Christian atheists. 
They just don't want to believe in the Christian God. If you are actually an atheist, it comes with very, very deep implications. What it means if you are truly an atheist, if there really is no God, and when we all die, we just cease to exist, that means that nothing matters. Nothing has any meaning whatsoever. What it means is that anything you did here on this life, you're going to die, you're going to rot in the earth, one day your kids are going to die, one day your kids' kids are going to die, and no matter how big your legacy is, no matter how impacting it was, one day the sun is going to burn out, it's going to supernova, the explosion is going to consume the earth, and nothing will matter. Nothing. No significance, no eternal meaning, nothing. And it means what you do today means nothing. And so why live a good life? Why live a life according to any kind of moral code? Why not just go eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want, soak up as much pleasure as you want to, stomp on whoever you're going to stomp on? It doesn't matter. If you're the most wicked, evil person in the world, who cares? It means nothing. Because one day, the earth is going to blow up and rot. And that's the implication of true atheism. That's what it means. And I just love that, you know, people that say, and really, you know, generally speaking, people that say that they're an atheist, what they really mean is, I just don't want to live my life with any accountability. Because if you actually acknowledge that there is a God, he's the creator, you're the creation, it means all of a sudden you're accountable to what the creator has said. And so generally, atheism is just, I just don't really want to live my life aligning or, or submitting myself to the lordship of God. But the reality is true atheism is a very, very dark thing. And that's why the only way to have true joy in this life, the only way is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the Bible says that there is one mediator between man and God, and it is his son, Jesus Christ. The only way that you can have a life of eternal meaning, of significance, that matters, that is filled with joy, is by submitting your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Point number two, how to maintain joy, okay? So point number one was how to attain joy, how to maintain joy. Point number two, once you've got it, how do you keep it? Galatians 5, through 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Where are you going, babe? Is it really that bad? All right, we're going to podcast the 11 a.m. service. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, think about what that means. So the Apostle Paul says joy is a fruit of the Spirit. That means that if joy is the fruit and it's of the Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit of God himself is the seed and it means that you are the soil. You are the soil. The Spirit of God is the seed. We are the soil, but joy is the fruit. If you are a Christian, as I've said, joy must be there, but it requires watering. It requires pruning. It requires developing. So how do you tend to the soil of your heart so that you water the soil, so that the seed of the Holy Spirit can produce joy in you. A couple of quick practical things. What do you think about 
What do you meditate on? Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We have this, you know, it's super annoying to me because I, the Sunday thing that we love doing with our, our kids are, you know, they're, they're not watching a ton of TV. We kind of are pretty regimented on screen time. But like one of our favorite things is just watching football on Sundays with my kids. And they love it. I love it. It's the best. But then the thing that's crazy is it's like the commercials are wild. Like literally there's this preview for this new exorcism, exorcist movie that comes on. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, don't you think that there's like young kids watching? And so, so it's just this thing where like we just go, close your eyes. And the kids, and literally like Zeke and Everly are just like, like they are so obedient. Like they, they are just like not, they don't peek. They don't, literally they're just like. And then it's just like, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Is it over yet? And then, you know, it's all these scary sounds. So Katie and I are like, la, 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 dee, 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 dee. Start speaking in tongues, just shouting at the top of our lungs. But it's, it was funny because the other day I was driving in the car and, and, you know, my son Zeke is just very pensive, always very thoughtful, and he'll just be quiet for a really long time. And he'll just ask these questions that, you know, they're very, I can tell he's thought about it for a long time. And so just dead quiet in the car and out of nowhere, he just goes, hey, Dad, do you watch those commercials? And it was, I was able to tell him, I said, no, I don't. Because, and I told him, I said, I know that my eyes are the window to my soul. And that's exactly what Philippians 4.8 is saying. Like, I'm not going to let the garbage of this world, you know, it's funny, you know, one of the things people say about our church is, oh, they're brainwashing you. And I'm like, come on, wash my brain, please, please. Yes, thank you, amen. No, no rebuttal, no, no, yeah. That's literally what we do. Like, that's what Paul said, by the renewing of your, your mind. That's called brainwashing. So brain, brainwash me away. Get all the dirt off. You can hydrogen peroxide, you can bleach it, I don't care. Wash it. Brainwash me. What are the meditations of your heart? What is the company that you keep? That's why I love hanging out with Pastor Marco. You just can't, there is like not an ounce of negativity in that man. If you're having a bad day, just go golfing with Pastor Marco and you'll leave like, I feel great. Unless you're a bad golfer and then you're gonna be frustrated, but that's on you, that's not because of Pastor Marco, okay? Do you hang out with positive people? If you have someone in your life who is constantly negative, I mean, the hard part is when they're in your family, okay? If they're sitting next to you, don't nudge them. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. You know, you, you, you get to pick your friends. You don't get to pick your, your family. So I get it. Sometimes it can be a challenge when you have negative people in your family, but you have to draw the boundaries and say, hey, look, I, like, I, I'm not going to be around this kind of negativity, period. Who, what is the company do you keep? Have you surrounded yourself with positive people that are going to water the seed of the Holy Spirit in your heart to produce the fruit of joy? Lastly, deal with weeds. Do you deal with weeds? Here's the thing about good, healthy soil. Everything grows. The good stuff and the bad stuff. And so a lot of times I think as believers, we get really upset, you know, gosh, why is this, you know, this thing coming back up? Why is there this weed? In my, and it's like, because you're healthy soil. It's like, if you have hardened your heart so much, a lot of times bad stuff, good stuff doesn't grow, but also a lot of bad stuff doesn't grow. But when you have a healthy, fertile heart, like weeds grow just as easily as the good stuff. The thing that's crazy, and listen, you can go around running, you know, picking weeds all the time, and that's good. You know, sometimes we have to, you know, figuratively tend the soil of our heart and, and all that, and that's great. But did you know... I have this weird obsession 
with just really healthy green grass. It's really weird, but I just love it. Like, my kids now know if we drive by someone's house that has, like, a perfectly manicured lawn, like, my kid's like, Dad, look at that grass. And, I, and I'm like, oh, I saw it. I saw it. The thing about a really well, so um, when we moved into our place, the grass was terrible, and I, I, like, spent some serious time, got it perfect, and then our sprinkler system broke, and we were so busy and things going on, I just didn't notice. And so for weeks and weeks, it didn't get water, and all of a sudden, I, like, came outside and was like, what in the world has happened here? The thing that's crazy is if grass is healthy and well-watered, it will choke out weeds. Literally, the best weed killer in your lawn is water. It's a well-watered lawn, and a healthy grass will choke out weeds. So listen, you can run around and, and pick weeds all day long, and, but I, I, sometimes I feel like you're focusing on the wrong things. If you would just water yourself, then the weeds die. And so are you a devoted person? Are you dependent? It's one of the values of our church. If you go to DNA, in the DNA book, it's one of our core values as a church is dependent on the waters above. And what that means is that everybody at this church, if you've been here for any length of time, if you're new, you get a pass, and that's fine, but we're not going to let you stay that way. Like, you don't, the expectation is not for you to show up here at church so hungry, so beat down that you're like, please feed me, please water me. You know, that's okay. There's seasons of life, and, and, and if you're new here, that, that's, that's totally okay, and you're in the right spot. But if you're a leader here, if you've been here for any length of time, there's, there's a transition where we begin to expect of you that you don't show up to church so withered and dry and hunched over that it's just like, I just need to take, 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 please water me. We actually expect you to show up well-watered and that you're ready to give, that you're ready to serve. That's the expectation, and that's, are you well watered? Do you spend time in the Word? Do you spend time praying? Colin Higginbottom um, has this analogy of, that I love. It's such a beautiful um, way to explain this. You know, let's say God gives you like, you know, whatever, a 10 by 10 little, little garden, and you go through, and you're a good steward, and you pick all the weeds, and it is just, it is as healthy as can be, and stuff is growing, and then God says, hey, great job. Instead of now 10 by 10, I'm going to give you a 20 by 10. And so now you have double the, the acreage you're responsible for, and then you look over, and you're like, what are these weeds? What the heck is going on? Well, yeah, you just expanded, and so now the, the territory that you've expanded into has weeds. So a lot of times as Christians, you can get frustrated when you, have, when you see new weeds, but a lot of times new weeds is because God has just actually enlarged what you're responsible for. The Bible says that the way, in Proverbs 15, 15, the way of the righteous winds upward. Now, if you look at a spiral from the top down, what does it look like? A circle. If you watch from the top down, it just looks like someone's just going in circles. Oh, here we are again, same thing again. But a spiral is your winding upward. And so, yeah, as you come back around, you may say, gosh, like I'm, in the, I'm dealing with the same thing again. I thought I beat this. I thought I was over this. But now you're doing it on a new level with a new level of responsibility, a new level of, of weight on your shoulders. And so that's, you, as a believer, you can't get frustrated when you're like, oh, my gosh, is it just this again? Yeah, it's this again, but it's on an upgraded you, on an elevated you, on you 2.0. Point number three is to come to a close. Worship team can join me on stage. How to regain your joy. And um, as a believer, you can't, and I didn't say, I was thinking, I wanted to use the right word, you know, reclaim also rhymes, so I could have used that, but I want to do that because to, to reclaim means it was fully taken, and that can't happen. 
So I just, I said regain because there are times in life where your joy can be suppressed. And you need to understand that there is a battle for your joy every single day. And if you think there's not, you're gonna live a life of frustration, okay? There is a battle for your joy. John 10, 10 says that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. To steal your joy, to kill your joy, to destroy your joy. But Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. The default position of a Christian is to be full of joy. So if you take a second, you self-reflect and say, you know what, like, I don't, I'm not feeling that right now. then that's okay, but it's a really good litmus test that there's something out of calibration in your life. That's all it means is, is if you're not living a life full of joy, then it's just, a, it should be a little, just a little yellow light saying, hey, Something's, something's off here. We need to reevaluate. And so you need to learn to fight. If there's a battle for your joy, you need to learn how to fight the battle for your joy. And in Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 18, the Apostle Paul is talking about this um, armor of God. It's a sort of, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an analogy, you know, we don't physically have swords and shields at home, okay? So even though that's what people say sometimes about our church, which is crazy, it's all our weapons of our warfare are spiritual, okay? They're not carnal. So Paul gives this, this sort of metaphorical um, list of weapons we have. And, and in verse 13, Ephesians 6, 13, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation. And here's the one I want to focus on. And the sword of the Spirit, Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. You know, if you listen to all those, every single one of those weapons is defensive. The helmet, the breastplate, the, the belt, the shield, all of it is defensive. The only offensive weapon that you have is the sword, which the Bible says is the word of God. The word of God. But it's crazy. He doesn't say, um, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, reading at all times. It doesn't say that. It says praying at all times. And so the way that you weaponize the word of God is you learn how to pray the promises in scripture. Instead of just reading, I am more than a conqueror, you say when you're praying, and in the name of Jesus, I declare that I am more than a conqueror, that there is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, you will condemn. That's what it looks like to pray the Spirit. And listen to me, that's why I am so hell-bent, no pun intended, on our men's and women's prayer meetings. I want you guys to know, just transparently, there's no like, I don't know if you guys think there is or not, but it's not like there's some, like we don't get together as the campus pastors during the week and like report, like how big was your men's prayer? How big was your men's prayer? Oh, there's, no, nobody, there's no reporting, nobody, there's no metrics on anything like that. It's not some goal I'm trying to hit. It's because I know that if I can lead people that know how to pray, then your joy will be secure. 
nothing will be able to take your joy if you know how to warfare for it, if you know how to pray for it, if you know how to battle for it. And that's why going to our men's prayer meeting on Tuesday morning at 5.30, our women's prayer meetings, the reason it matters is because you learn how to fight so that your joy becomes secure. And I want to, I don't know if Chris Aguilar is in here, but I want to just honor Chris Aguilar. The, a couple days ago, he texted me out of nowhere and he, he oversees um, Pathfinders here for our East Lake campus. And, and this is much like Pastor Marco, like the, the, the story of David at the well of Bethlehem. And Chris just texted me and just out of nowhere, didn't ask him. He just said, hey, you know what, Pastor Mike, well, you know, I noticed a little bit of, of you know, some of my some of my leaders in, in Pathfinders Apprenticeship and some of my Pathfinders leaders just kind of noticed the, the prayer attendance isn't where it should be. So I'm gonna talk to all of my leaders and I'm gonna ask them to commit to being at men's prayer. And it just was so like that's the like that's what leadership looks like. Leadership looks like caring about what matters to the people that God has placed in authority over you. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you will learn how to pray, if you will learn how to water yourself, if you will learn, then your joy is secure. There is nothing that will be able to rob your joy. doesn't matter a diagnosis. It doesn't, like I'm, I'm blown away by the stories of, of Christian martyrs. And you guys have heard me tell this story before, but it's one of the most impactful stories to me of all time. There was uh, two two men, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, back in, in a lot of the, the Protestant and the Catholic fighting, and the, the, they were branded as heretics because they stood up against the Catholic Church, doing nothing heretical, by the way, just literally preaching the Word of God, and they were condemned to die, to be burned at the stake, which is probably one of the worst ways to go. And this, the account of, of their death was they, as they were being tied up moments away from, you know, the, the straw and the hay being lit underneath their feet, Hugh Latimer looks over at Nicholas Ridley and he says, be of good cheer, my dear friend Nicholas, for today I believe that a flame will be, a flame will be lit in England that will never be extinguished. How crazy is that? How does that happen? How can you be on the doorstep or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the, the pastor who stood up against Nazi Germany that actually joined the plot to assassinate Hitler, okay, a pastor, a pastor, I want to be like that, that's amazing, was found out and was condemned to die, went to the gallows, and as he was walking to the gallows, there's a report of it. One of the SS soldiers was, was journaling and talked about what it looked like when Dietrich Bonhoeffer went to the gallows to be hanged. And it, and it says of Dietrich, I saw this man that I knew was a pastor. I watched him approach the gallows. I watched him peaceably walk up to the executioner. I, I watched him ask if he could pray one last time. I watched this man get down on his knees and pray and then I watched him walk to the gallows and be hanged. And then he says, I've never seen a man die more dignified. That's what was written of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The reason that men and women of faith can face the most unbelievable persecution, whatever, is because of the joy that cannot be extinguished. Listen, come on, can we be, let's stand to our feet. Can we be a church people? that is committed to fighting for our joy and saying, devil, you're not gonna steal my joy. I'm not gonna let my circumstances dictate the praise in my mouth, the, 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 the meditations of my heart. I'm not gonna let the enemy come in and, and steal my joy. Can we be the kind of people that know how to fight, how to warfare for our joy? Come on, somebody. Can we be the kind of people that are committed to praying, are committed to reading the Word of God, learning how to pray, and saying, I am more than a conqueror in the mighty name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And as we close, I've just got two questions. They're rhetorical. I'm not going to ask you to answer them. The first one is, have you lost your joy? 
And if so, that's okay. But you gotta fight to get it back. I wanna challenge you to, to make our prayer meetings a commitment. And again, I don't, nobody, I, I don't get a bonus or no, I don't, doesn't do anything for me. I go every week, I'm there. I'm there, I do not miss our men's prayer meetings ever, unless I am physically out of the state of California, I'm there, okay? Because I know that I'm not gonna, I need that level of warfare in my life. And so if you're seeing joy be, being extinguished in your life, will you commit again today that I'm gonna be a person of the word? And, and listen, you know, like, isn't it crazy? Like you can get on Instagram and like somehow you, you're scrolling through reels and it's like 90 minutes has passed and you sit down and you open your Bible and it's just like, oh, squirrel, oh, butterfly. Like you, you have to understand there's warfare around you reading your Bible. Of course it's not easy. There's warfare around it. There's no warfare around scrolling on Instagram. The devil's like, yeah, go ahead, you know, scroll away. There's warfare around you reading this book because the devil knows that you will secure your joy if you know what is in this book. And then lastly, have you never found your joy? Why don't we just bow our heads really quick as we come to a close. If you're in here today and you know, you can just kind of self-reflect for a second and you say, you know what, like what you're talking about, I don't, I don't know that I, I have that. I've been happy from time to time, and, but it's circumstantial, you know, happiness comes, happiness goes. And, and if you want that joy, the joy of the Lord, my question would be, have you ever actually surrendered your life to him? The Bible says in Romans 10, nine, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved that the, the seed of joy will be planted in your heart and it will flourish and there is nothing that can snatch it away. And if that's you in here today and you know that, you know what, that's me. I, I, I want that joy. And maybe, maybe you, you've never made this decision ever in your life or maybe you once walked with God, you, you, you used to walk closely with him, but maybe life got in the way and you've fallen away, slipped away, whatever. Maybe you're in here today and just say, I'm far from God. I know he's calling me back home. Here in a second, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to shoot your hand up if that's you, if you want the joy of the Lord, if you've never given your life to him. And I'm just gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And it's a prayer of faith, a prayer of belief in Jesus. It's a prayer of giving your life to him, saying, you are my Lord, I surrender to you. So if that's you and you're in any one of those categories of people, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up real quick. One, two, three. Who needs to make that decision today to, to, to claim the joy of the Lord that belongs to you? Anybody in here need to make that decision? I see your hand over there. Who else needs to make that decision today? Anybody else? Amazing, amazing. Can we all just pray this out loud? Let's say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today I declare that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Today I declare that my sins are forgiven, that heaven is my home, God is my Father, in Jesus' mighty name, Amen, amen, amen. Come on. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.